This is part four of our previous episode. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. In the introduction, I mentioned that you are multifaceted in terms of talent. And unlike other uh, artists, this has utterly nothing to do with your musical background now. So, for example, you are presently in olive oil industry. So, what got you into that? So, Augustus. The olive oil industry came first before the music. Okay. <laughs> no, in fact, my the story starts with my great grandfather, my maternal maternal great grandfather. He came to New York City in 1896. Wow. Yeah, and he back then Southern Italians, primarily from the region of Calabria were very good mining. New York City was building its New York City subway system. So a lot of Southern Italians were, were sand hogs as they, as they call them and uh, helped build those, uh, those tunnels. So uh, he stayed here for several years and with savings in hand, he, uh, he went back to Italy and bought a plot of land that had olive trees and the olive tree orchards uh, began then my grandparents expanded bought more land planted more olive trees my uncles expanded planted more olive trees to the point where they got over 20,000 orchards my mom before she married my dad, she managed the olive orchard. So olives, olive orchard, olive oil has been in my family for generations. It's in my DNA. Um, when uh, I traveled to Italy 20 plus years ago to perform with my band, we would always visit my relatives and my relatives would give us some olive oil to bring back to New York. A couple of years later, my wife, who was then back then my fiance, we went to a family wedding and uh, they would give us olive oil to take back. I would share that oil with my friends here in New York. I'd buy these small decorative bottles at a local 99 cent store, put the oil in there and give them away during Christmas time. And people were responding unbelievably to the olive oil. And they said, Mike, this is fantastic. I've never tasted olive oil so robust, so flavorful before. They said, if you ever think of expanding your interests beyond music, 
consider importing this. Back then, you know, I just, music school, nothing but music. It didn't feel right to do anything entrepreneurial. My focus is just music. But then to 1999 came around. And what happened in 1999? Napster happened. Napster basically broke traditionally with the paradigm of, of how the music business operated. File sharing. Everybody who was creating these great music, basically it was piracy to the nth degree. So the whole business model changed and rather than taking my money and investing it back in music, I chose to invest it into my native region of Calabria where I wanted to rebuild the family home. And part of that was also the olive oil. So with the olive oil, I learned about everything and anything having to do with importing how to structure it, how to set it up. I learned from the farmer's market, how that works, where you pay a farmer in advance the crops that they're going to grow. And then you would go on a weekly basis to the farmer's market and pick up your produce. So the farmer knew in advance, based on the money that they got from their cooperative, the farmer's market cooperative, what to plant and what to grow. And so I came up with the New York City Olive Oil Cooperative under that um, knowledge and experience. And I started off with 25 of my closest friends who bought two cans each and then word of mouth. And next thing you know, we have over a thousand co-op members. Those who belong to my co-op are primarily connoisseurs. They've traveled the world. They traveled to Europe. They've been to Italy, to France, to Greece, to Spain. They've tasted authentic, great quality olive oil. They come back to the US, Canada. They buy something in the grocery stores and it doesn't taste like olive oil at all. And that was the reason why I started the cooperative. I wanted to appeal to the connoisseurs of the New York area, and now it's expanded. What and makes I, a good... I imported, yeah. I import it once a year. I take pre-orders in August. I let my relative friends in Italy who produce olive oil, I let them know this is how much I need. I always add a, a few extra percentage because I sell the olive oil at my concerts. My merch table has CDs, T-shirts, olive oil, balsamic vinegar, part of my my story what and makes a good olive oil what makes that, a good olive yeah. oil? yeah yeah uh what makes good olive oil first of all the the terrier the the earth is it in the mountains or is it closer to the sea the climate the microclimates that exist in between the the the, the precipitation and the temperature of that specific year Olive oil is a living organism, just like wine. Sometimes you have a good year, sometimes you have a not a so good year. Fortunately, my uncles were forward thinking and they had irrigation system built in, in the 60s. So never a worry 
about it being dry and not enough precipitation. What you don't have control over is how hot it's going to be. And you do not have control over infection of the olive fly, which infects trees and then their yield and their olives are bad. So having said that, it's collecting the olives. There's multiple ways of collecting olives. There is mechanical means where this arm from a tractor grabs onto the trunk, shakes the tree. There's netting underneath the tree. The olives fall to the ground, to the net. They're collected, taken to the mill. Sometimes the olives remain on the ground for long periods of time before they're collected. So I want you to think of this. Think of a tomato, a nice ripe tomato. Now you bruise it or it's fallen and you start seeing that it's bruised and marred. If you try making a tomato salad with that bruised tomato, marred tomato, it's not gonna taste so great. Same thing with olive. If an olive is perfect, it's going to give you a perfect olive oil. But if an olive is starting to mar and, and it's picked up and it's moldy mildew, the olive oil produced in that is not going to be so good at all. So good quality oil is it's picked by hand, very labor intensive. It's put in a breathable crate, taken to the mill within 24 hours. The mill is disinfected so there's no cross-contamination. And you stand the chance of having a high-quality olive oil with low acidity. Extra virgin is anything less than 0.8% in oleic acid. Anything from 0.8 to 3% is called virgin olive oil. Anything from three to 10 is basically called olive oil. And anything north of 10% in acidity is called pomace olive oil. Pomace olive oil, they make soap, they make lotions with it, non-edible. So extra virgin, virgin and olive oil, those three are the edible ones. Extra virgin, low in acidity, it doesn't upset your stomach. It's good for your health. Very okay. good for your health. Okay. Like honey, which has been uh, counterfeited so much, olive oil has also been victim of counterfeiting. Talk, so tell us about what's going on there. It's called adulterating olive oil. So what's going on is the blending of some olive oil with other types of oils. They are diluting so that they can make as much money as possible. And what they're doing is they're ruining the industry by doing that for the sake of greed. You have people who have allergies to nuts. So God forbid that bottle of olive oil that you buy in the store has been blended with a olive that comes from a nut that's it so unfortunately olive oil that is mass produced 
is just like cafeteria food. It's going to be done in a certain way that it's got to supply the masses, while artisanal olive oil that is done by families, that is done slowly, correctly, you're going to pay much more, but you're going to get a good quality olive oil. So in the olive oil industry, know thy source. What's the name of your brand so people will know? So my family in uh, Southern Italy, in Calabria, does not bottle its oil. They ship their oil in bulk to the northern regions of Italy. They, those in northern Italy, blend it with their oil. And then they are great marketers. They put it in beautiful bottles and they sell it. So the, the oil that my family produces is for the family. And I just basically ask them, include a few extra thousand people as part of the family. The oil that's created for the relatives and family at a really high level, that I buy. It's put in cans. It's shipped over. And then we sell it in cans, one liter bottles and half a liter bottles. And it's called the New York City Olive Oil Co-op. Okay, good. And that easily can be found at on my website, New York City, spelled out New York City Olive Oil Co-op.com. Okay. So we start taking orders in early August. And then the oil arrives in late November, early December, and we ship it out. People come by and they pick it up. So it's direct. There's no middleman, no stores, nothing. Very, very simple bottle because a qual, qual, um, a connoisseur knows that a good quality olive oil comes in a simple bottle. The more fancy the bottle is, that means your money is going towards packaging and marketing and not what's inside the bottle. It's what's okay. inside the bottle that counts. And we will be right back after this important message. Questa mia canzone Inno dell'amore Te la canto adesso Con il mio dolore Così forte and we're back. Quickly, uh, talk about your set of uh, balsamic vinegar enterprise as well, because that's you also sell yeah. that. So after several years of doing the olive oil, my friends and and co-op members would say, "Mike, what else you got? We love what you're doing." And um, and I think I mentioned it earlier. My dad was a cooper. He made. He made barrels for wine companies and balsamic vinegar companies. So one of my cousins in Northern Italy who's been having this restaurant for many years, he learned about my cooperative and he, you know, his, through his relationships and friendships, 
um, with those in the balsamic vinegar world in Modena, in the region of Emilia Romana. This is where Bologna is. This is the where the food capital of Italy is, Bologna. Um, and Aceto, um, balsamic vinegar. Um, Ferrari has its headquarters there. I mean, the list goes on of what uh, Emilia Romana, the region, brings to the world. Parmigiano Reggiano, the cheese. Parmesan cheese comes from that area. Uh, one of the families that's been producing balsamic vinegar for hundreds of years uh, just loved what I was doing with the olive oil uh, cooperative. Um, and they agreed to sell me a barrel of uh, balsamic vinegar, aged balsamic, 25 years. And, uh, and it's stored in a barrel that my dad made more than 60 years ago. Same bread. My dad, my dad being a master cooper, uh, he made a particular barrel that has rather than five different types of woods. His has 10. Each wood that affects the balsamic vinegar inside the barrel affects the quality. And the mother, that's the 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 the, the, the essence of the balsamic vinegar. As time goes on, cold, heat, evaporation, it condenses slowly, slowly, slowly. Just like honey never goes bad, balsamic vinegar doesn't go bad. So ours is age 25 years old. We have a two-ounce bottle with a topper, and it's not used or meant to be used in, in salads. It's meant to be used like a syrup on a shard of cheese on some fruit salad, on a custard dessert, on a um, ice cream. That's how you think of using aged balsamic vinegar for momentous moments. And it's uh, listed still same, same as New York City uh, Co-op for that also? Yes. So the okay. website, uh, uh, New York City Olive Oil Co-op, um, yeah, you can order both the olive oil okay. and the balsamic. Okay. And then you also uh, branched down and you kind of briefly touched on it earlier about the uh, Villetta Mima Victoria, your yes. rentals. So give us something on that. So if you recall, I mentioned about Napster, 1999, the whole music business world being turned on its head because of that. And I had done a commercial that ran quite a few cycles and had some savings and not uh, feeling it to put it into music. Uh, I chose to invest into rebuilding the family villa. Uh, this is the home where I was born and raised the first several years of my life before we immigrated to, to Canada. And the property was abandoned for many years, it was an eyesore. My wife and I went to a family wedding. It was her first time meeting my relatives and seeing where I was born. And she said, Mike, my God, you should do something with this. Having read the book Under the Tuscan Sun, I was inspired to rebuild. Gioia Tauro. Gioia Tauro, which is a port town in Calabria, one of the biggest port towns in all of Europe after Amsterdam. 
It's a two-story, two-bedroom, 1,200 square feet. Yes. Yeah. It's a townhouse. So, yeah. Yes. So and, uh, and we, we, it took three years. Everybody thought we were nuts to do this. But at that time, it was me and one doctor that were renting out our villa in Calabria. Everybody was doing it in Tuscany and Umbria, uh, other parts of Italy, but very few were doing it in Calabria. And uh, everyone thought that we were nuts to do this, but I, it, uh, there was an emotional connection to wanting to rebuild and, and invest in my native, re- my native region. And uh, it took about three years. Our first rental client was a NBC cameraman from Connecticut. And he loved it. He stayed for two weeks. And um, our first year, we rented out eight weeks. This is 2003. Our following year, 2004, we had 48 out of 52 weeks book. Wow. So there was, there was, there was uh, a void. I filled that void. And then everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Now, everybody and everyone is doing the same thing in, uh, in Calabria. So you can vacation there and stay at so many different properties and, uh, and get an authentic Italian experience as opposed to a tourist trap experience. I think part of it may be that you, you uh, address the shower issue, which you want to talk about. Repeat that again, sorry? Part of it may be that you have you resolved the shower issue, European shower versus American shower. Oh. <laughs> yes, well... Uh, energy and water is a commodity uh, in in Italy. Um, electricity is most expensive. Uh, fuel is expensive, and um, and uh, the water tanks that hold uh, the hot water uh, they're small. Uh, Italians they do quick showers. Americans we like long showers. And I had to explain to the uh, the rental clients. I said, listen. If you're, if you're four people staying in the villa, you have to start thinking short showers because you're not going to have hot water if you're at the end of the list uh, because the, the water tanks are small. They're, they're heating up as they're going. So part of the experience is learning, is living amongst the Italians, the way they do things, the how, how they do things. And so being conservation-minded Conserving energy, conserving water is part of that. So they, 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 they quickly learned the, the Italian style of taking a shower instead of the American style. So maybe we, they should call it the Navy shower. The baby shower. Okay. The, the Navy shower. N-A-V-Y. Oh, Navy. Yeah. Oh, Navy shower. Oh, is that right? Okay. Uh, in and out. In and but, out. There you yeah, go. But you, you forgot to mention that you implemented a 10-inch uh, rain shower head yes, in the large a, bathroom. Back then, it was it was the the craze to put the shower the rain shower heads the big eight to twelve inches shower head. It was a novelty back then to find it in Italy and to install it. And as with most people who do renovation uh, restoration projects, if you don't know what you're doing, you tend to be fighting with all the contractors. I didn't have the verbiage, the language to be able to communicate effectively with them so i would fight with them all the time and imagine doing this from five thousand miles away too via fax via email um but i had to remind them as the homeowner i wanted it designed and done the way i wanted it done 
in the end, it turned out really, really well. If you go to the website, VilettaMimaVittoria.com, you'll see hundreds of photos and people respond to it very, very well. Uh, we've had over 500 uh, guests stay over the past uh, 17 plus years. We've had professionals, we've had wedding couples, we've had students, retired couples, airline pilots. Uh, we've had the uh, president of uh, a champagne company uh, stay at our villa. It's been uh, quite an experience. They get introduced to my music. They learn about the olive oil. And uh, one thing feeds into another. So you said, Mike, you know, you're not doing these other things have nothing to do with music. They actually do. Let me tell you what it is. It's all about healing. Music heals. Taking a vacation heals. uh, Having olive oil heals having balsamic veal balsamic vinegar heals it's all about healing so it is all in one it's just different branches of it i see your point i see your point there how about the la dulce vita foundation the good work that you're doing there the foundation has to do with uh taking um underprivileged uh children, teens, and adults who are suffering from the blues. And uh, just like any outdoor activity where the endorphins kick in and you feel better, um, taking a ride, a joy ride in a convertible car, anywhere from a half an hour to a few hours, uh, can release some endorphins and feel better. Um, My daughter and son-in-law, bought a car, it was a Mazda Miata, 93 Mazda Miata in the mid 2000s. And I was totally against it. I said, uh, you can only fit two people in there. And I said, ah, we just got married. We want to have fun. A year later, they uh, said, okay, we want to buy a more practical car. I had driven the Miata and I said, you know what, rather than selling it, I'll buy it. And um, I spent years Uh, refurbishing it and really customizing it, making it into a a vintage looking um, uh, convertible car. And uh, it's during the season of between May and October, uh, whenever I can, I get referrals from teachers, psychologists, priests, friends, anybody who needs a ride for a half an hour to, to several hours, doesn't cost them anything. I take them on rides. Obviously, you haven't been able to do that in the past several years. Thought of actually selling the car. And um, I think I'm going to hold on to it and continue doing the good work yeah, and that, the that, joy that it gives. And that, it's called that, La Dolce Vita Foundation. That's really a beautiful cause. All right, Michael Castaldo, what's next for you? Next is just uh, music. Continue on with the music. Continue on with the olive oil and the, the, the Villa Rento. But the music is now back front and center because I missed it so much these past several years due to the pandemic that um, I want to release a remix uh, every four to to eight weeks and continue uh, providing content, engaging with uh, my fans, performing performing with my band or life to track, depending on the situation. 
um, and just living life to its fullest because we, 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 we let it get by us the past couple of years because of the uh, pandemic. Yeah. That's right. Well, Michael, I want to thank you. And the Friday podcast thanks you for spending your time with us and sharing your life and all the good deeds that you're doing. Any closing comments? I'd like to say thank you for being so incredibly prepared, knowing my background, doing your research. I want to thank Ruben for introducing us. And uh, I appreciate that you, uh, that you took the time to uh, have me tell my story to all your listeners and viewers. I greatly appreciate it. And I wish you good health and uh, prosperity and, and peace and happiness uh, as you uh, move uh, on in life. And I hope to meet you in person one of these days. Absolutely. And on that wonderful note, this is Augustus Cho. Over it out.